Hey, welcome to the Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. There's a few classic Christmas movies out there. Die Hard's one of them. Uh, the Raiders is a very classic Christmas movie. Another one is Home Alone. Uh, everyone's seen. Have you seen Home Alone? Yeah. The movie, the kid makes all the booby traps to stop the robbers. There's a scene, it's a ridiculous movie because as a parent, I think, how could you leave your child at home? But that's the premise that the family goes away on holidays at Christmas time. They leave young Kevin at home and they discover that in the middle of traveling that they've left him at home and Kevin's mum, Kate, is desperate to go back to find him. There's one scene, she's trying to book an airplane ticket back home on Christmas Eve and she says these lines which I think have captured how Hollywood views Christmas. This is Christmas, the season of perpetual hope. Now this is an image, a classic image of the nativity scene very, very unbiblical scene because you got the angel, you got the um, shepherds and the wise men there at the same time. But for many of us, this is what Christmas is about. This sort of nice image of Jesus. Yes, this image of perpetual hope. This image of just in the midst of chaos and carnage. This moment of quiet. Now, if we look at our display here, which is, I don't know if you can see it from where you are, you might have to come to the stage after service. This is meant to represent the throne. As we've been going through the book of Samuel, the idea of David is the one who will have a descendant who will sit on the throne forever. And on this throne, we've actually got the manger here to symbolize that Jesus came as the son of David, but is a very different type of king. Now, I'm going to ruin this little image for you of this perfect nativity scene because in Matthew's gospel after the wise men come and visit and they get their dream about going back home a different way what does Herod do to the kids at Bethlehem what happens kills them now I have not seen a single nativity scene with the soldiers running into Bethlehem or the mothers there weeping for their lost children. Now, Christmas is, as Kate McAllister said, a time for perpetual hope, a, a, a time where even in the midst of carnage, there is a light to cling onto. And what one commentator, Kenneth Bailey, says, by Matthew, by adding in the death of the baby infants, it, it ties in with the whole new Exodus imagery, Jesus having to flee to Egypt. But what it does is it gives people who have no hope, this, this recognition that Jesus was born into a world of chaos and carnage. And today we're going to look at, well, we're not going to look at a passage per se, because it's about seven chapters of Scripture. So I encourage you to read those later. But sort of um, seven chapters of very, very difficult Scripture from the book of 2 Samuel. So Keith, if you want to flick to the next slide... Now, I apologize, our screens are a little messed up, but these are sort of the core characters. There is a ton of names in these narratives. You have Amon, Absalom, Tamar, Joab, the wise woman of Koah, Apithithel, Hushai, and King David. Whew, 
That's a lot of names. So that's going to start there on the screen to help kind of orientate you to what I'm going to explain to you. We're going to do a very quick overview of these passages and end up with some application. Now, in um, the book of Samuel so far, as I, as I said before, the idea of it was to give David a promise. Now, David was promised, if you remember when Murray spoke a few weeks back, that he would have a son who would reign forever and ever. He had this eternal kingdom. Now, that's really exciting because you think, okay, a, a king means stability. A king means hope. And if David has that there, so okay, this is cool that life's going to be guaranteed. Life's going to have some hope. But then... When last time I was up here on stage preaching from 2 Samuel, does anyone remember what passage I spoke on? Anyone remember? Yeah, Bathsheba. Now that is kind of the, the highlight of David. Then he's downfall. And so David, as a punishment, the, the prophet Nathan comes and says this little parable about a rich man who takes this poor man's... Um, only sheep and uses it to cook food for a guest. And David's response is, this man should be killed and pay back four times what he's done. In a sense, this is what happens to David. David has this four times judgment upon himself as life begins to unravel for him and his family. It all starts with, a character up there, Amon. Now, Amon is the next in line for the throne of David. And Amon is in love with his half-sister, Tamar. Now, Tamar is David's daughter. And Amon is so lovesick for Tamar, he just longs for her day and night. He can't sleep, he can't eat. He's so in love and in love's in inverted commas for Tamar. And actually, um, Amon's cousin comes up with this plan. Janotah happy is his name. Come up with this plan to pretend that he's sick and ask for Tamar to bring him food. And probably one of the most horrific narratives in Scripture. And you meant to feel dirty and disgusting after reading it is that Amon rapes Tamar. And there, Tamar, in the ancient world, that once he'd lost his virginity, it was seen, particularly in those circumstances, was seen as just this awful dishonoring. And so Tamar is there weeping. She rips her clothes. She's crying. And Absalom, her brother, brings her in and says, Hey, don't worry. I'll just, you know, stay silent. Don't worry about it. And for two years, Absalom plots and plots his revenge. The reason is David does nothing. David's furious at what happens. He's furious that Amon's raped Tamar. Absolutely furious, but does nothing. Now, kings are meant to rule with justice. Kings are meant to bring hope. And there's no hope here. For two years, Absalom plans. And then one day he has this big feast. And he invites his brother Amon along gets him drunk, and kills him. And, in, and after he kills Amon, Absalom flees. He flees to a, a city called Geshur for three years. And eventually David starts to long for Absalom to return. And his general called Job, the guy I mentioned down there at the bottom, he pays this wise woman, and we don't know her name, she's just a wise woman of, from a place called Tekoa. 
And she makes up this story to David and says, hey, and she dresses up as this, this mourner and she comes to David and says, hey, uh, I've got two sons. One of my sons, he killed his brother. And now my family want to kill him. And so she says, please, can you spare my only son so, my, so, my, so he will not be killed? And David makes this promise. He says that as surely as the Lord lives, not one hair on your son's head will fall on the ground. So the idea being that David will forgive the murder of this fictional son. So what the wise woman of Tekoa does, she says, hey, if you're willing to forgive me and you don't know who I am, how much more should you forgive your son Absalom. And so Absalom then comes back into Jerusalem. But then for another two years, David doesn't speak to him. And it's just festering. It's this idea over the years. This, in fact, it drags over seven years. Absalom and David don't speak. Just this wound that is there festering. This evil begins to spread. And Absalom he decides to take matters into his own hands. Absalom describes as this tall, handsome king with very, very long, flowing hair. And if David won't rule Jerusalem as the way it should be, he decides he will do it himself. He gathers himself a group of men. They run around in chariots, is what kings would do, and they stop the people and start acting justice out, saying, well, you know, if you go see David, he's not going to rule for you properly. Anyway, to cut a long story short, eventually Absalom takes over the, the throne and begins to rule. And David and his family are forced to flee for their lives. And in fact, one of David's wisest counselors, um, Athithol, he actually is Bathsheba's grandfather, so he probably has good reasons to betray David. He encourages Absalom to sleep with David's ten concubines. The story just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Well, Absalom started as kind of this anti-hero sort of figure. He killed his brother in revenge. Now he's raping 10 more women. So let's see what the impact of sin does, the consequences of that. But then David puts in a double agent, a man called Hushai. And Hushai begins to thwart Apithol's counsel. And so... If you're kind of tracking with me, you've got Absalom who's ruling. He's got two advisors. One of them is David's chief, like former chief counselor, who's described as his advice as being light from God. And you've got this other man, Hushai, who's giving counter advice. And eventually, Absalom listens to Hushai's advice. It's very, very foolish. He takes all the armies of Israel, attacks David. 20,000 Israelites are killed. And Joab ends up killing Absalom. And yeah, that's pretty much the whole story. That's kind of a nutshell of 2 Kings 13 to 20, roughly. And if you listen to Banter tomorrow, we'll unpack this a lot deeper. But as readers, we're meant to think, oh my goodness, there is nothing good about this. This is the consequences of a life when there is no justice, when there is no hope. And for us as, I guess, Christians and looking forward to Christmas time, this narrative should push us further to longing for Jesus. It's, it's in that light is brightest in the midst of darkness. 
And so there in, in 2 Samuel 13 to 20, we see kings ruling as the world does. We see Absalom, a man who with his gorgeous looks and his long hair, in fact, it's described that his hair is so lush, he has to get it cut once a year and it weighs about a kilo. And it's ironic that that's what causes his downfall. His head gets stuck in a tree and that's when Joab kills him. We see, we see these kings, these leaders that are trying to solve the world's problems in their own ways. And as we look around our world now, all you have to do is just look at the news, Google the news, you just see the tragedy, the terror, and the horror. Now let's just reduce that down even more. And perhaps even in our lives, there are just struggles that we have. That image, if we can just go back to that image of Christmas. Thanks, Keith. Maybe that's what we want our image of Christmas to be. But how stressful is Christmas? Let's be honest. How many of you have battled the shops? See, I'm lazy. I get my wife to do it or, or use Amazon. <laughs> but I, I know it's, it's stressful. You've got shops to plan. You've got presents to buy for family members. You're not really sure what they're going to like. You've got food to prep. It can be just this really, really, really stressful time. Instead of being this sort of serene image of Jesus, it's chaos. As 2 Samuel 13 to 20 reminds us, even in the midst of chaos, God is somehow working in it. That's what I love about the Old Testament. That's what I love about these sort of narratives. And in this strange way, I find the horror of 2 Samuel weirdly comforting. Because I'm like, okay, God's going to deal with this one day. Our answer, our hope isn't in human strength, it isn't in a fancy leader, isn't in, in someone who can grab justice in a way that's not what God intends. It's actually in a little baby boy. It's in Jesus. It's in the king whose throne was a manger. And what's really cool on banter tomorrow, we're actually going to look at how David's flight from Absalom actually mirrors what he did with Judas. How, in many ways, Jesus takes on the role of David. David, if you remember back, we've been in Samuel for a long time. Remember when Saul was chasing him, he was exiled. And he was exiled not for his own sin, but because Saul was so jealous. Now in David's second exile, it's for his own sin, for his own failures. What Matthew does in his gospel, and we'll look at this more tomorrow on banter, is how Jesus actually takes on the failure of David. He's, Matthew is deliberately alluding to these key moments of David's flight from Absalom to show that Jesus is taking us on. He's taking on not only our failure collectively as sinners, but the failure of David to rule Jerusalem properly. And we're meant to reflect upon that. There is only one way for this world to be saved, for it to be fixed. And it's through that humble baby boy that was born in Bethlehem. I think one of the things that, when if you read through, particularly 2 Samuel 13, and just the horror of the description of what Amon does to Tamar, that we can actually find when we look at Jesus and what he does for us. Jesus removing that shame, 
removing that dishonor that Tamar felt. And perhaps today there's some of you here that feel like the only way you can wash away the evil that others have done to you is by doing something in your own strength. Or perhaps today you think, I've done something so horrible, maybe not as horrible as an Absalom or an Amon, but something so horrible I cannot find forgiveness for that. And friends, I encourage you today to look at the birth narratives, to read Matthew's gospel and to see, or both Matthew and Luke, I should say, and see what Jesus did, how he humbled himself so completely to read Jesus' account of him, of him going into the garden of Gethsemane and him praying to God, pouring his heart out because he didn't want to go through the suffering he was about to endure. Because in that humble birth, we risked his life, put his hands in human parents. And I still find um, the incarnation just so incredible. On Wednesday night, anyone see that storm? The storm that was there. I stood out there for a bit and there was a big bolt of lightning went past the sky. Now, I find storms wonderful but terrifying. Do you know that feeling? You're like, man, I'm so in awe, but I'm actually terrified right now. Imagine God. Every time I think of someone, I think of God and coming out Sinai and the lightning and the thunder and just the fear. I'm like, I'm kind of scared of this storm right now. This is a pretty baby storm. It's that same God that came down and was born in that manger. He had to trust his life to his human parents, Mary and Joseph. It's that same God of all that power. He prayed in that garden saying, not my will, but yours be done. That same God who was hung upon a tree. In a sense, undoing Absalom's sin as well. A number of commentators know that. As Absalom was riding his donkey and gets his head stuck in the tree, people like Jesus, in a sense, is taking on that role of Absalom as well, removing his failure as a false king of Israel. So, friends, I encourage you. I encourage you, if you don't know this God, you don't know this God who came to save you from your sins. Accept him today. Friends, if you feel like you're distant from this God, that you've done something where you can't connect with him, we can't be forgiven, pray to him now. Because as awful as the whole Testament narratives are, they're designed to make us feel that way. Because you think, well, if God can overcome even this Overcome incestuous rape, overcome murder and revenge and the slaughtering of a whole bunch of innocent soldiers they didn't deserve to die. How much more can he overcome the failures and the heartache that you experience in your own life? And friends, that is the perpetual hope of Christmas. Not that God will magically make your life just like this little picture here with no problems or heartache, but He gives you the strength to overcome that. Just like that star over that house that the wise men followed. In many ways, Jesus is the guiding star, the guiding light for us in the midst of our challenges. So I invite you today. I'm going to pray now. And as I was couple of weeks ago, I'm going to be at the back of the prayer corner if you need prayer after service, where it be because you want to accept Jesus or whatever you just need prayer.
to release you. And I know there'll be others from the prayer team there who would love to pray for you. for, For the first time, or perhaps to be reminded of the Jesus who came to wipe away the failures of Israel's kings, the failures and the heartaches of your own life, and to find new life and hope in him. Let me pray for us. Hey, Lord, as we've just briefly looked at your word, just the horrors of what sin does, the impact that David sin with Bathsheba had over the nation of Israel, reminded to just the, what sin does and the consequences of that. But we give you thanks that in Jesus, that he overcomes that. He overcomes the sin, our own personal sin. He overcomes the heartache of what others have done to us. As he became the embodiment of David, the embodiment of Absalom, as he was born humbly in Bethlehem, as he hung upon the cross on that Good Friday. I pray that this Christmas season, in the midst of the chaos and the confusion and the uncertainty of this world, that we can find that light and that hope that only Jesus can bring. So I pray that if someone needs prayer, you just be encouraging them, that you just remind them that they're deeply loved by you, and that Jesus wants to remove the shame in their lives. And Father, I pray this now in your son's name. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.